This is episode 128 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2015, One Courageous Community. This is one of the workshops titled, Called to Counsel Courageously. Welcome to the Courageous Counseling Workshop. As I planned out uh, and put together this workshop, I prayed for those of you who are here today. So I'm really excited to see what God is going to do with our time together. So I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then I'll introduce myself, and we'll get into this. Jesus, thank you for bringing us all here today. Thank you that you are the master of our lives, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that we can dig into your word, that we live in a country where we can talk about you freely, where we can say God moves, and where we can offer that information to each other daily. I pray that you prepare our hearts, that you would soften our hard places, that you would meet us in the places that were broken, that you would come and that you would free us and that you would show us how we can counsel courageously as a part of your body, as a part of you offering comfort and care. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I am very happy to be here. I have four kids, and they are nine, seven, five, and three. And being here, I feel like my brain is breathing. <laughs> it's been, it's, you know, it's summertime. Everybody's here at home. Some of my kids don't want to get along because they're in each other's spaces all the time, so I'm doing lots of counseling in my own house, which they don't like, and they know all my, my tricks and my tidbits, and they repeat them back to me and with vigor. <laughs> and then we talk again about the heart and how the heart issues, even if our words are different, it really depends on that. They, they love having me as a mom, I'm sure. They, <laughs> but they, uh, they've just been having a great summer, but I am happy to be here resting with you all and listening for the Lord and seeing what he's going to do with our time. I stay at home with the kids, but I'm also the leader of women's ministry at Outward Church. I have my MSED from Corbin University, and I'm deeply passionate about preaching the good news and seeing people's broken hearts bound up and seeing people set free from the things that do try and take them captive. So I want people living the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. I read a lot. I love books. I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> I've been doing biblical counseling for about 10 years, but just recently I decided to get my certification and I became a member of the uh, Association of Biblical Counselors so that I could train others. And one of the things that I want you to clearly understand from this workshop is that we should all be offering each other biblical counsel. We are all qualified simply because we have the Holy Spirit and we have access to the Word of God. So let's look at what that looks like. Can I have the first slide, please? So we need to start with a definition of what biblical counseling is. Most simply, it is intense discipleship. Biblical counselors seek to see God's glory here on earth. They desire to see others apply the Word to their life, their hard issues, and the things closest to their hearts and the, the ways we pursue everything, applying the word. This is counsel that is rooted in God. It exalts Jesus Christ, is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and is fueled by love. So let's get into the who, what, where, when, and why. Have next slide. So the who, all of you, we all need to be offering biblical counsel. We must stop validating each other's wrong thinking. Again, we must stop validating each other's wrong thinking. We have to stop trying to make each other feel better, but keeping each other from getting better. We need to offer each other the truth of God and not stray from that. We must always endeavor to point each other at Christ. Colossians 3.16 commands us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The what? Biblical truth applied to your life and the lives of others. We will get to the how this is done as we continue to go on. The where and the when. Anywhere, anytime, as God sees fit. It's not always convenient. 
Sometimes this might take place in a counseling room. Sometimes a restaurant, the bus stop, the classroom, the wherever you find yourselves when the need to address a hurt or encourage a heart finds you. A brief practical tip. When I'm meeting with somebody in a public space, I strategically will try to have them sit with their back towards the majority of the people in the room. So if I, had, if I was meeting with somebody right now, I would have them sit here. That way they would be more open with me as we talked because they can't see all of you and they're more likely to share their heart and reveal the things that are really causing them pain. This can sometimes be awkward because you kind of try to like slide in there before them. <laughs> but really, if they're going to start tearing up, or even if they do, if you don't get in there first and they do start tearing up, you can always offer to switch with them. And really, they'll see that as an act of care because they know that you're trying to just to protect them from outside eyes. Can I have a slide? The why. To glorify God and make much of him. To fulfill our part in the Great Commission and to help the hurting. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So as we teach people to obey, we're not alone. Through biblical counseling, I have seen people come to Christ. I've seen them know him more and learn to go about making disciples themselves. This is a piece of caring and growing the community of Christ, teaching people to obey what Jesus has commanded us. We want people to know him because he is the redeemer and the ultimate healer. We also do it because it helps the hurting. One of the greatest gifts our God has given us is each other. The mighty truth of the unbreakable bond of God's family brings me great comfort. I try to keep this in mind when I walk into a church, a conference, or meet any Christian anywhere. It is glorious beyond my comprehension when I think of how God will bring us all together in perfect community. It brings passion to my prayers and kindness to my words for those that know him and those that need to be invited in. It helps me stand when terrorists take the people of the cross, our people, and force them to their knees. It helps me engage the broken. It gives me hope because I am not alone when life is heavy and pain is real. God's truth reminds us to look up, for he has placed family all around us. So because we have been adopted into this dysfunctional yet redeemed community, we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How do we help the hurting? We are all asked to help each other walk with each other and support each other. And there are different levels of need in courageous counseling. First of all, all of these areas require people who know how to hold a confidence. There is no room for gossip in Christ-like community. So please, I beg you, if someone is willing to trust you with their heart, act in a way that is worthy of that trust. Most Christians will work in the realm of offering biblical counsel. So that's our biggest area. This is where all people come in. This happens in daily conversations and the mundane happenstances of life. It is encouragement on a day when a friend is depressed, wise counsel when at a crossroads, or a shoulder to cry on when grief has stricken. It is offering a tank of gas to the person who ran out on the side of the road. It is vital that all of us are doing this because your pastors and your leaders and your church lay counselors cannot bear the load of your whole church's emotional needs alone. Our next level is biblical triage. Most people at some time or another will be called to perform biblical triage. This is the emergency room of emotional care. An emergency may consist, but is not limited to, discovery by a spouse or a friend or a loved one pattern of patterns of secret sins. So adultery, lust, dishonesty, greed, malice, fear, anger. Something that just suddenly came. An unexpected occasion of suffering in which a person is under great duress or in a point of confusion. Death of a family member, loss of a job, a crisis of faith, a miscarriage, unexpected diagnosis of a life-threatening disease. Please realize that when you are making an assessment of a triage situation, you should address the problem 
as seriously as the person who is experiencing it. With few ex exceptions, because a wound is a wound, and if it gets infected, it can be deadly if the poison gets into the heart. Truthfully, there's an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and we must stand against him with the truth of God and destroy the lies he often attaches to our wounds. Brent Curtis presents this idea that if we see the wounds in people as being inflicted by a poisoned arrow, we will be more ready to hurt or to help the hurting, to treat them effectively. Because we know to remove the arrow if there's an arrow sticking out of somebody, but we don't always think about the poison that has seeped into the bloodstream. The poison is the message or the lie that came with the wound. Whatever the wound is, if the poison that seeped in is not addressed, healing will not be found. For example, and we talked about this this morning, if the wound is a woman who grew up without a father, the poison might be that she isn't worth sticking around for. That may be the lie that she hears. Then she struggles with abandonment and worth, and these follow her, her around until she cleanses this lie with the truth that she is adopted by Christ, who never leaves her nor forsakes her, and that he saw her as somebody worth being crucified for. We teach people to think about what they are thinking about, what they are preaching to themselves. They talk to themselves more than they talk to anybody else. The inner dialogue is constantly running. They need to pay attention to what is being said. We help them through the process of renewing the mind, and as scripture tells us, to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Also, keep in mind, just because somebody isn't crying doesn't mean that they are not hurting. In fact, it may mean that they have hardened themselves, which means it may be more difficult for truth to penetrate the walls to heal the broken spirit. We must go into the depth with people, with sensitivity, with comfort, and with care. Again, in this area of biblical triage, it's like the person who got into a fender bender on the road. Okay, so we have the gas tank people, and the biblical triage people are the, the person who just witnessed an accident. We're helping the person who just got in a fender bender. We've witnessed the emergency, and we are there to help provide immediate care and call somebody for help if need be. This brings us to structured biblical counseling. It's a smaller area, but it's a necessary area because sometimes need, people need more long-term care. It's most often needed for chronic issues and deep water care. Acute issues of emotional unrest that have begun to rule a person's life, such as depression, anxiety, fear, hopelessness, panic, or relational problems that have begun to smother and overwhelm so that they can't even function regularly in their lives anymore. The people who work in this area are theologically and relationally qualified, able to provide spiritual and emotional guidance, comforting with love. They are able to make a plan for healing, offer wisdom, and walk through these deep waters with people. To work in this area, you must be willing to hear unspeakable horrors, offer great mercy, and be able to give the burden of doing these things over to the Lord, because otherwise, it will crush you. I have worked with the suicidal, the abused. I can see their faces as I talk about them. People trying to heal from years of being sexually trafficked. Um, people who have witnessed murders. You will face unspeakable horrors. Jesus has seen them and he can carry the load of helping these people heal and walk through them. But after doing this for a while, you'll no longer be surprised by much but you must protect yourself from being jaded and continually bring the ugliness of the world to the feet of our beautiful savior. Biblical counselors are often people who have received some form of training in lay counseling or professional counseling. On the road of life, these are the mechanics. They tow the car away for a while and help to build a new transmission. As a side note, these people are also, also know when to refer out and partner with community resources. 
I often will refer people to uh, Center for Hope and Safety. I'm in Salem. That's really, they know how to make a safety plan better than I ever could. I can write a safety plan with people, but our community resources are people who do this all day, every day. And so I will often refer, I will help with the biblical side of things, the emotional side of things, but when there's practical steps that need to be taken uh, to protect one's safety, either from themselves or others, utilize your community resources. Can I have a slide, please? What I really want you to see is that all of these levels are necessary and they help each other. Also, when you meet someone in need of help, all of these levels require active listening. We must first know the problem if we are going to address it. I have the slide. So here we have some disciplines of listening, active listening. So summarize in your head as the person's talking what they're, being, what they're saying. Do not be so preoccupied with what you're going to say next and the great wisdom you're going to be offer, offering that you don't hear what they're saying. Take notes, ask questions, repeat back important points to make sure you're hearing correctly. Listen for where is God in her story. Good questions to ask. Tell me a little bit about who you think God is. Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe that he likes you? And how are you sleeping? This question has been so beneficial to add to my repertoire of, of questions. It often reveals way more than the person even intends to reveal to you because if they're not sleeping at all, you know there's some problems there. If they're sleeping 18 hours a day, you know there's some problems there. And it, it happens daily, right? We have to sleep daily. And if we're not sleeping daily, there's a problem. It really will help you uh, see if there's things going on that you wouldn't have addressed otherwise. So. When we are working with someone, we must discern what their view of God is. Because that will help us know where we start. People as a whole are looking for ways to manage, cope, deal with the obstacles of life. We, we run into conflicting theories, opposing psychological tools, and a whole lot of confusion about which way to take and what to believe. We hear that all people are basically good, but they're just victimized by the ups and downs of life. Some believe that we're just high-functioning animals by, um, conditioned by the world around us. And some believe that our biggest problem is just a lack of self-esteem. And Kari hit on that this morning. We know that is not our biggest problem. Here is where biblical counseling diverges from the study of psychology. In biblical counseling, we look at what God says in his word first and foremost as we interact with others and are seeking input about how to proceed in the trial that they are facing. While wisdom and common sense will inevitably inform some of our counsels, scripture is sought and applied in all counseling choices and not contradicted for any reason. Scripture warns us about the dangers of placing man's thinking at the same level of importance as biblical truth. 1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20 says, For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. We are being used by God to deliver the truth with love. You are successful if you honor God by bringing the truth he asks you to bring. You don't get to take credit. And you don't get to take responsibility for the results that come from the message that you delivered. If they reject what you said, you can still freely interact with that person, trusting that you obey God and that what they do is between them and God. Second Timothy 4, 2 through 5 says, Preach the word, and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We see this all the time these days. And will we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So this brings us to the four foundations of biblical counseling. 
In order to help people effectively, we need to help them understand their problem from God's view. Offering them biblical hope because, hey, life is hard. And we all need a little hope sometimes. And we need to help them make a plan for change and encourage them as they put that plan into biblical practice. Can I have a slide? Biblical truth. You will not trust a God you don't know. All Christians must be in the word and understand the value of memorizing scripture. Now, this doesn't mean you have to have it word for word and know all the therefores and the buts and the ands. Don't worry about that. But memorize scripture. Get the basic principles down. Have them in your repertoire so the Holy Spirit can access them whenever you need them. The truths we teach, offer, and advise must be true for our own lives first before we can authentically offer them to others. This doesn't mean that we need to be perfect. It means we need to be honest. People who repent and ask God into our own dark places. We strive towards holiness and Christ-likeness, but acknowledge that we will not be complete until we are with Christ. We are all works in progress. I am resolved, and I would encourage you to be resolved as well, to admit, I am not God. He is. I will let him define existence. I will let him define the universe. I will let him define my loved ones. And I will let him define me. Because I am his. And I will seek him out in his words so that I know his character. That he is good no matter what my limited sight sees. That he is true no matter what lies I believe. And that even when his word says things that don't make me feel better about myself, they are still true. Hide his word in your heart. Wrestle with the scriptures. Rest in his promises. Know the goodness of God in all he says. Know him. Know that you're known by him and make him known. Have a slide. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is able to meet us in all situations. Two of the biblical truths that come into play in almost all counseling situations are who God says man is and who God says he is. Our pride wants to believe that our condition isn't that bad. But we live in a fallen world with sadness and death and sin and self-esteem and self-pity, self-disgust and self-love all point us at self and not at Christ and therefore they disappoint. A self-centered Christian is an oxymoron. Big God, small self, eyes on Jesus, not on self. So we must ask people, who rules their heart? This is where we start. We ask, does this person know the gospel? And if they do, have they released control over their lives into the protective hands of Christ? People must grasp the differences between man's way and God's way if they want to live the abundant life. This has become one of the first things that I look for when counseling in my community. I look for where we have pushed Jesus off the throne and stepped up to rule, albeit poorly, in his place. Trials squeeze our hearts. We don't have the knowledge of what is in us until it is tested. When the storms of life are painful and circumstances close in, this is when we are best posed to put Christ-like qualities on display. So we ask ourselves and we ask our people, when your heart is squeezed, what type of fruit comes out? Is it the fruit of the flesh, anger, bitterness, resentment, or is it the fruit of spirit found in Galatians 5? Peace, love, joy, self-control. The condition of our hearts impacts everything that we do. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all 
else guard your heart for everything you do flows through it. So you should have one of these hands out in front of you. You have permission to copy it and use it as God's leads if you need to. Uh, we will start with the cycle of the self-ruled heart. So what you see here is that if people have themselves on the throne, that they are usually making decisions out of one of two areas. So they, they either take the, the path of desire and what I want, desire and lust, or they take the path of fear. How do I self-preserve? How do I keep myself safe? How do I protect all of what I have? This leads them to control. Now, if their efforts succeed here, as they try to control their lives, then they go right back into pride, and then they go right back up into the self-ruled heart. And so that's how we see people in the cycle of self-rule. But often when those chasing lust and chasing fear don't succeed, then people become angry. They become anxious. They become depressed. So they end up in this cycle of hopeless anxiety, and the fruit of the flesh is what becomes, comes out of their life. Have the next slide. So here we have the Christ-ruled heart. Somebody who is operating from a Christ-ruled heart chooses either the path of contentment or the path of peace when a trial comes. So they trust, I will have peace that passes understanding, that though there is trouble in this world, I will have peace knowing who Christ is. Or contentment, I can be content in all circumstances, well-fed or hungry, plenty or in want. If they choose one of these paths, because of who Christ is, because he rules their heart, they find trust there instead of control. And then they choose obedience instead of anger, which leads them to increased contentment or increased peace, which leads to joyful abundance and the fruit of the spirit. So we have to look at, I use this a lot with people. So I, I let them look at them and say, which one do you find yourself in? Now, you can be a Christian and shove Jesus off of the throne. Okay, we do it all the way through our decisions. Some of our decisions in the morning, you know, we just woke up, we had our devotional time, we're good, we think we're all holy, and then one of our kids spills cereal on the floor, and then we're back to self-rule because my desire is for not cleaning up that cereal. <laughs> but, or what have you, whatever circumstances of life that you're in, uh, there are, we can vacillate between these two throughout the day, but we want to seek to have Christ rule our heart most of the time, knowing that we have to make sure that he stays there and that we're not pushing him off. So just because somebody is living, we, we'll have people, Christians that will come in, that they know Jesus, they are saved, but they continue to take control back from him. So this is where we come. Control or trust? How are you making your decisions? Most people, when asked, would rather choose a life with peace and contentment than one with anger and anxiety and fear and lust. So we must deny self. We follow Jesus. Often people seek counseling because they are struggling with being stuck in the cycle of choosing self. It's become habit to them. They don't remember how to go back and trust God or they've never learned. God informs their life but does not rule their life. They are willing to place eternal future into his hands but not today. Now, real basically, I'm going to touch on some methods about how truth should be applied in different situations. So here we have different ways that the, the word of God can apply to different situations. If you're dealing with somebody who is rebellious, you want to use the scripture to admonish and warn. If you're dealing with the immature, you want to teach and instruct. If you're dealing with somebody who's lacking motivation, exhort them and urge them on towards righteousness. If you're dealing with somebody who's overburdened, bear patiently, Take up, help carry some of the burden. Somebody who's discouraged, encourage and strengthen them. Those of you that have the gift of encouragement and sometimes feel like that gift is not enough, not as important as some of the other gifts, that is completely wrong thinking. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people who are like, I was so close to taking my life. I was so close to making this decision. And they interact with somebody who has the gift of encouragement and it just flows off of them. It comes out. Words of life just flow from that person. And it can stop people in that process. So please, those of you who have that gift, use it 
continue to use it. Even when people shut you down and roll their eyes at you, those people are often the people who need it the most. When people are grieved, comfort and console. We have to be careful here though. When grief first strikes somebody, it is not always the best option to go right to scripture and tell them how God works all things for good. There's hope in that, but you don't wanna say that to somebody who's just lost somebody they care for. Often what somebody who's just been stricken by grief needs is somebody's presence. Not words, just somebody to be, to be with them. Most people interpret God through their circumstance and in, instead of interpreting their circumstances through God and often need training in how to correct this habit. So again, we're back to the thinking, we're back to the habits. How are people habitually living their lives? God tells us that we are hopeless without a savior that all have fallen short of the glory of God, but he made a way back to him through Christ. We have anchored hope available to us all. And this is why we never just offer biblical truth, but we must offer biblical hope as well. Have a slide, please. First Corinthians 10:13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we have hope for today and in our daily decisions. Often people don't understand that they can actually say no to a situation. That often the way of escape that God tells us is simply no. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to say no. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the natural thing and that you're going to feel like saying no, but really often the way of escape is saying no and walking out of a situation. And we need to let people know that, that they have that option because sometimes they believe lies that they just, they can't say no. They have to, you know, serve this person or they have to uh, live this way, but we need to empower them with, with God's truth that says you have a way out. We have hope for the pain that we are in and the pain that we have left behind. This is where Romans 8.28 comes in. And we know that all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And we have hope for eternity. That some pain will not end anytime soon. Some pain is long term and not something that we've brought on ourselves. But there will be a day when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away as Revelations 21.4 beautifully tells us and promises. But today, at least not yet today, is not that day. So we must turn to him with hope to sustain us until that day comes. One thing that we can hope for here and now is victory over victimization. Christ is the ultimate conqueror and victor, and through him we have the promise of victory. We may not know the timeline for it, but we know it's coming. If people continue with a mindset of victimhood, they will never find victory. People blame their, addict, their parents, addictions, and circumstances for where they are in life, and we must show them that there is more than that. I'm going to share this story with you that I often share with people who are struggling with this. I call it Picasso's paint, but it's really called the painter has painted his painting. But it sticks out, and I've seen it do amazing things in people's lives. The quality of paint used by a painter aids the painter in the quality of his work. But we would never say it determines or defines the quality of his work. Give an art genius like Picasso the worst paint in the world and he will make great art of it. Give the best paint in the world to one foolish or lazy in art and he will make great foolery of it. Picasso's work will show itself superior through the quality of his paint, though the quality of his paint proves inferior. The circumstances of a person, such as family upbringing, genetics, biochemistry, sociology, intelligence, vocation, and whatever else, 
are the paints we possess with which to paint. Some people begin with and develop better paints than others. Some are given paint of bright and wide-ranging colors, possessing good textures and ideal gloss, but others receive paints of dull or unpleasant color, possessing difficult textures and clashing shades. Our strokes and work upon the canvas represent the conglomeration of our thoughts, feelings, and actions. It is the fruit of our life. The painter is the entirety of our heart and whatever rules it. If Christ is our master and his kingdom our mission, the paints we are given will be turned into a glorious portrait or landscape or still life. For Christ himself will control the painter and apply the paint according to the genius of his work. If I am my own master and my kingdom is my mission, then the paint I am given, whether pleasant or horrific, will produce a most depressing, bitter, and foolish work. For my carnal flesh, the world, and the demonic realm will control the painter and the application of paint. All my methods to improve the paint itself, such as education, medication, discipline, family therapy, and self-help books may improve the paint, but they don't improve the painter. I will continue to produce my fleshy art simply with better paint. And what survey of art strolls down the halls of museum exclaiming what great paint they have used? There are no such surveyors, of course. Paint quality is not noticed in the end, only the work itself. God and his word intend to transform the painter, not the paint. He is certainly willing and able to change circumstances, but changes of that kind are not his principal ambition. The scripture is not obsessed with transforming circumstances, but transforming human hearts. In fact, it is often to God's glory when one possessing dreadful paint is compelled by the spirit to produce a masterpiece of life. Quality paint helps, but it does not make the painting a masterpiece or disaster in the end. We must help people see our big God and his big victory so that they can leave the smallness of victimhood. There is hope that God is always near, that he never leaves us, forsakes us. However, you know and I know that we don't always feel this. We talk to others and we know that they feel it too. So here is one question that I always ask when people tell me, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church and I'm praying, but I still feel so far from God. If you are a note taker, write this one down. I've seen it do amazing things, but it really is quite simple. We must ask, how are you killing sin and taking steps of obedience? While we may be able to move through Christian motions without depending on Christ, killing sin and taking steps of faith and obedience push you deep into his arms. This is where a plan for biblical change becomes helpful. Have a slide, please. While offering biblical truth and biblical hope are both things that we do as a counselor, biblical change and biblical practice are more between the counselee and God. However, we can help them design a plan for change and coach them in the process. Think of it as like riding a bike. When we're first learning a new skill, it feels awkward. We may fall down. It can feel difficult as we are learning. Over time, we begin to understand and we become competent and we can ride the bike successfully most of the time. And then at some point, we, get, we begin to be able to coach others. We become a coach. Again, we, let, we get to the point of letting God work in us so we can help others see how he is working in them. Rick Warren says, other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. Now, I am a survivor of physical and sexual abuse, and I cannot tell you how many people that I have had the privilege of working with to help them heal in these areas by scriptural truth, by who God says he is, by who he says that they are. Um, whatever your wounds, 
when you place them into the hands of Christ, he can use them to make something beautiful. And he can use them to help heal others. Because by his wounds we are healed. And he will not waste our wounds if we're willing to trust him with them. And he will use them to heal others. We need to coach people how to live for Christ. For the will of the almighty God. Often this means allowing our old selves and our old ways to pass away. Slide, please. Romans 6, 6 through 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. If we don't have an awareness of our flesh, how can we crucify it? We need to gently aid people in finding their sin. Everyone has something. If they don't think that they have something, you may want to start with pride. But joking aside, this process is not always easy. Crucifixion was not a pleasant practice. And this should hint to us that allowing our flesh to die can be painful. But as we walk with people through this and we acknowledge this and we say, look, I know that you've been living with this for, for years and cutting it off, it hurts. You know, God tells us, cut off sin, die to self, crucify your flesh. Does any of that sound pleasant? <laughs> there are certain times in our Christian life where Christ will lead us to a point where we have to let something die, even when it hurts, so that he may be, bring true life. But, and then acknowledging this to people is an encouragement. It sounds painful, it is painful, but it's encouraging to hear that people are not alone in their pain. That the killing of sin is a, a life-giving process. Biblical counseling is larger though than a few one-on-one -on -one counseling situations. Rarely does lasting change happen in isolation. When we are running people through a counseling process, Part of the requirements are that that counselee is attending services and seeking out ways to grow in some type of Christ-like community. A choice of community or small group involvement often is a predictor for success and sustained emotional health for that person because they are actively hearing biblical counsel from others and they're also beginning to offer it to, to other people. Have a slide, please. So biblical practice, we are arming people with the ingredients that they need to be hungry for and to fill the hunger for righteousness. Here, we can give people tools, but their relationship with God is really up to them. One of the most simple tools I can offer is the put on, put off tool. Take this passage from Colossians 3. So... We need to make sure that our people are in the word of God. Some people have never read the Bible and they need some training in that. This is one of the simplest tools I've found that people can feel successful in, which will help to build their confidence in being able to read the Bible. So what I do is I, I'll give them a passage like this. I'll set it in front of them on a piece of paper and I'll be like, what does God say we need to put off? Anything he says to put off, put a minus sign by. So we've got put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So sexual immorality, minus. Impurity, minus. Passion, minus. Evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So we look for the, in the, through the passage. What does he tell us to, to put off? But he never tells us to take something off and not put something back on. Because we don't just stand empty. If we leave ourselves empty, if we take things off, sometimes that emptiness can be filled with something either equally or more destructive. So we need to make sure we teach them also what to put on. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And they'll put a little plus sign there. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. So... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So forgiving, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So we put plus signs about all that. And it really is just, it's so, it's simple, but it helps people feel successful 
in reading the passage and understanding what they might do because of that passage, how they might live it out. Have a slide, please. Okay, this is what helps sustain people when they are no longer in your care. Getting them in the community, getting them in the word of God, having them take responsibility for their own walk with him. This is a period of transition. It is important that people don't get too dependent on you. This is why it's important to have them enter into community. You don't have to answer, hear me, you don't have to answer midnight texts and rescue everyone every time. If you are active in this type of ministry, you will need to have prayerful, God-given boundaries because there are people who will cross them at times. So like for me, I usually don't answer texts after nine or before nine. I just cut off those 12 hours. I'm not gonna answer ministry type texts unless it's an emergency. Sometimes emergencies happen, but I, I've pray, prayed through my boundaries. I know kind of where, where I go with things. So really look into that. Where has God asked you to draw boundaries? Because helping people can easily become an idol and it will crush you if you don't monitor it carefully. Keep in mind that your worth is not on being a helper, but on who God says you are through your faith, not your works. Their dependence belongs on God. We help them get running again, and then we put them back on the road. There are manipulative and lonely and dangerous people out there who need to be loved. So we be discerning and wise and prayerful about how God would have us interact in those places. Like we talked about, you don't get to take credit or responsibility for what happens. You allow God to use you and let him carry the weight because things can get really heavy in a fallen world. But God is the perfect healer and more powerful than we can even imagine. Remember, the people that God chooses to bring to us for counsel in crisis or for counseling are not projects to be completed or problems to be fixed, but they are people to be loved, loved as we have been loved with comfort, truth, hope, and great care. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to tell you about a couple of resources. And then maybe you can go jump in the lake, because it's hot. <laughs> Jesus, thank you for the women here today. Thank you that they want to hear from you, and they want to hear what you have to say through your word. How you want to free others, how you might want to use them. How you speak to them through your word, so that they may use it to speak to the hearts of others. Thank you that as a community, we can work together to see your healing come, to see your freedom come. And Lord, I ask that you would do that here this weekend in each of us. Show us where we can kill sin. Show us where we can take steps of faith and of obedience. Draw us deep into your arms and mold us into who you would have us be, how you would have us serve community, and help us to rest each day in your love and in knowing that we are yours. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so first resource, your Bible. <laughs> then I've got some good ones down here. If you are teaching somebody how to read the Bible for the first time, I found this book to be really helpful. It's called Women of the Word. It's by Jen Wilkin. It gives practical tips for how to study your body, or your body, your Bible. <laughs> how to study your Bible and really walks them through kind of, hey, yeah, this can be confusing. Going through the genealogies is like reading a phone book sometimes. So here's where you can find richness even in those passages that you just think are a bunch of names. Um, this. If you do a lot of counseling, you need one of these. Quick scripture reference for counseling women. So there's all types of different issues in here. We've got depression, anxiety, miscarriage, adultery. There's just a list in here. It will help you find the scriptures and how to apply them to those situations. Now, you want to know the whole scope of the Bible, but when you are in the counseling situation, it's really nice to have a resource. You don't have to know it all. You're not gonna know it all. You ever think you know all of the Bible, you need to go study it again because you've missed the deepness and the power and the mystery of God. But use resources. Don't be afraid of them. Let people see you using resources. Don't, don't stand on pride and say, oh, well, I don't use books like that because I have enough knowledge of the Bible. Use your resources. Teach your people to use resources. 
Don't let them think that they have to be something far and beyond their reach. And then for those of you who are interested in more of like becoming certifi certified to do this, uh, this is called Equipped to Counsel. It's through American Biblical Counselors. It kind of helps you look at the heart issues of deep, of all the different issues. So you've got anxiety and depression and anger and uh, family issues. This is for, for those of you who want to do the structured stuff. Uh, they, you can go to their website, which is christiancounseling.com. There are other resources out there too. Um, there's a, a NANC, what used to be NANC. Now I think they've changed their acronym, which is like, ABDC or something. All I can think of is the guy with the short shorts from a ADDC, like the band. But ABDC is the other the other group that does certification and will run people through trainings. And then they have stuff that goes on through throughout uh, the nation. Also, I brought some of these. This is uh, just how one church is doing it. So if this is something you want to see have happen more in your church, uh, I would look at this. They also are eventually going to become a training center for ABC, and th th it's been a great example of how to partner with community. So these, um, this group that I work with, we, well, they'll go into the community, they'll meet the community resources, they'll develop a relationship, and sometimes they'll do training. Like I said, Center of Hope and Safety. We'll bring those people to train our people on the practicalities of like domestic violence or something like that and then we will bring the biblical element to it after they have done their presentation but sometimes doing these uh, community involvements you will get tons of referrals outside of your community and this becomes a way of like evangelism and people are being sent into your church because you're partnering with the community the community knows you they know you to be as people that they can trust so it's also a really good resource so if you want one of those i've got some up here if you just want to grab an example of how other churches are doing it so thank you so much for being here and sitting in the heat. Go find some air conditioning or some water. And I'm so looking forward to seeing what God continues to do this weekend. Thank you.